Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Please take your seats quickly, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to Tennis Weekly with Joel, Kim and Chris. On today's tour catch up sponsored by DownloadTennis.com. Sinner sinks Medvedev in Vienna. Felix finds form in Basel. And the WTA finals get underway in Cancun. Kim, Chris, today is the 30th of October and we are here to catch up on the week in tennis at Tennis Weekly HQ. Yannick Sinner is your winner in Vienna. Felix Ogier Aliasim wins in Basel. And guys, we have booked our flights to Malaga for the Davis Cup finals. Although my initial excitement, it has gone awry because it all went to pot, didn't it, for some of the GB players this week, thanks to injury. Well, it seems like they're dropping like flies. So I don't know if we'll have a GB team to support in Malaga in a few weeks' time. Who would get called upon, me or Chris? I don't think it matters if Novak Djokovic is playing. Who plays? Whether it's us or someone who's picked up a racket before. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I mean, I I would love to see it, but um, I... Yeah, that would provide a lot of entertainment for me if either one of you stepped on court with Novak Djokovic. But um, do Don't not worry. fear, I'll listeners, that wouldn't be happening. Merch. I'll be oh, if you're in merch, merch, that's fine. It's fine. I that's fine then, yeah. We're way more likely to get on court if we, you know, at tournaments have their little mini rackets. And we actually, play with them. and arguably, maybe, the goatee is still intact. And I think that could put off Novak Djokovic if I did step onto a court with him. What do you mean when the goat met the goatee? Oh, yes. <laughs> Well, well, well. Actually, very niche content there. <laughs> you're both sporting some facial hair um, as we're recording I, I this. I think he's copying me. I've had this for years, Joel. <laughs> <laughs> but Chris, how are you doing? Because you are back from Vienna. I think you've literally just landed and you've come yeah. straight to record. So thank you so much. Yes, I've just landed. All is well. Um, and I mean, we'll talk about this in a little bit, but an absolutely fabulous event where yeah. The seeds did well. I was very worried after what happened in Stockholm and uh, the week before where no one seemed to be able to win who was trying to get to the ATP finals, whereas we had some pretty exciting matches with some very highly ranked players. So I can't complain. Yeah, it's great that you were there for Tennis Weekly uh, attending the Vienna Open. Um, but what's been your highlights of the past week? You know, aside from your trip to Vienna, Chris, what's what's been your highlight from the tour? Ooh, well, I was going to say um, the riding school because Joel said I had to go there. I did not go. Um, so <laughs> oh, that what? Would, you, didn't, did, you didn't take up my tourism advice. I, I did see it. I much more like to follow Kim's advice and take in maybe the opera, for example, no, or go enough. to the CC Museum or something like that. But um, my highlight had to be, and I know this is very bad because I was in Vienna, um, but it was actually over in Baal where... Um, a very confused umpire um, actually got two players confused. He got Holger Rune and Kasper Rude confused um, because Holger was very annoyed at the poor sort of physios they had there. He was having one of his usual rants. And the umpire goes, most of the time, you're good, Kasper. <laughs> and Holger goes, I'm not Kasper. And it Ooh. kind of makes perfect sense because he must be thinking, no one's ever had any problem with Kasper before. <laughs> Why is he so grumpy today? And turns out he just got the wrong player and he's the umpire. So whatever we say about the WTA later in the podcast, maybe some of the ATP, ATP officials haven't also got it completely locked down either. That is embarrassing, isn't it? Not even knowing which player is, is on court or getting them, them mixed up. You'd think they would know their players it's on the from scoreboard. each it's, other. It's literally on the iPad in front of them. <laughs> Just because like two of the letters in their surname is the same and they're both Scandinavian. I mean, really. Um, but Joel, what about you? What's What's caught your fancy from the last week on tour or off tour? Well, I've been very excited because there's a new tennis event coming to London in mid-December in the off-season. That's the Ultimate Tennis Showdown. Now, some of our listeners might be aware this event has been going across uh, the world this season and uh, it's landing in London from the 15th to the 17th 
of December. It is the finals of the event for this season and we've already got some of the players lined up. Kasper Rude's going to be there, Rublev, Gael Monfils and Wu Yibing of China as well. So uh, I'm really, really looking forward to that. I mean, I feel like we're always spoiled with, uh, you know, with tennis in the UK. And uh, I'm really excited given, I say, the calibre of players, top 10 players um, in an innovative, interesting format that has caught my eye this season. I think it, yeah, it's going to be a very, very, very exciting and entertaining one. It can kind of fill the void that we have in London. You know, at that time for Mm. the ATP finals, we used to always get spoiled with that. So I feel like getting to see some top players in London come December might be a bit of a harp to the past, no? Yeah, it's definitely giving me um, World Tour Finals vibes from the the 2010s. So it's, it's not nice. WTF, it's UTS now. <laughs> Ooh. Oh dear, those were the days. Well, talking about Tour Finals, my highlight has been from the WTA Finals, which are are just underway in Cancun but not so much the tennis but the um, you know the nice sort of ceremony uh, before the finals begin where everyone gets dressed up in nice outfits they uh, have been posing on the beach for for a photo of the waves crashing in the background and every single player seemed to get the wear white memo except for Iga Sviantec who came in a nice um, sort of bright red long sleeved uh, Mm. dress Uh, so the photo of all of the top eight lined up with the the trophy that they all want to win lovely photo but do you think eager was deliberately going for red or do you think she just like didn't have a white dress honestly this is tricky this is tricky when i saw it i thought this can't be real um because it just is so unusual because normally everyone wears something a bit different but it almost felt like there was a dress code um and maybe Iga set the dress code they out. They didn't send the invite to Iga Sviantec, Maybe obviously. she didn't get the memo, but it's almost like, you know, when you have a, a party where they say everyone should wear black and white and then someone wears red because they're having the party. I feel like maybe it's Iga Sviantec's world and the rest of them are just living in it based on this picture. I didn't know if she was trying to reassert her authority, like I should be the world number one. I'm going to do my own thing and wear red. It's giving um, lead singer energy, isn't it? <laughs> I mean, on another note, is there any particular dresses that caught your eye? Any favourites? Well, Kim, I wanted to just say that did Coco Goff steal Igor Sviantek's shoes or sandals? Because they are also red. Yeah. That's and true, uh, Maybe it was wear, wear white or red and everyone went wh- white. That could be it. You could have spotted it there, Joel. Yeah. I think the mm. Grecian style, I'm, I'm loving Onz's outfit. It's like slightly off-white, looks beautiful with the sand. And I've seen some pictures of it really flowing. So I think that one is very good. I think there are a few brave contenders in heels because they are very far into the sand. So... um if I, if I were them, I would be much more likely to have, you know, an espadrille or a flat, Kim. That's my feedback. <laughs> <laughs> well, Chris, you are the fashionista. I remember when you interviewed Felix OJ Aliassime, he commented on how nice your suit was. So I trust your opinion when it comes to clothes. And I trust his based on what he said that day. <laughs> <laughs> and we'll get on to Felix a bit later because he had a great week uh, in Baal. But we're going to kick off... Um, this week's podcast rounding up the tennis in Vienna uh, which you were very um, much at uh, just coming back just today from the city Uh, you were at the final though Yannick Sinner against Daniel Medvedev Chris it was three sets you said it was a cracking cracking final Um, you thoroughly enjoyed it loved seeing all the footage that you sent us from there Yannick Sinner coming through 6-3 in the third set it's his second victory over Daniel Medvedev this month Um, so he's obviously getting learning to get the better of of him but what do you think made the difference um in this match and what got Sinner over the finish line when it came to that third set I think this is I mean I've seen Sinner kind of throughout the year I've seen him in one of the most uh difficult matches to view which was against Altmaier at the French where he managed to find a way to lose that and it felt like maybe this wasn't going to be the breakthrough year we thought it was going to be I saw him struggle past Stan at the US Open And it was just so unbelievably refreshing to watch him play so well, so freely, to move so well and be able to keep it up consistently pretty much across the three sets and the two sets I saw from him in the quarterfinal as well. So for me, it was a case of plan A was working, which is take the ball down the line, take the risk um, and it paid off. I mean, it was so clean off the ground. I think in terms of striking, 
I don't think I've seen two players play better in the flesh and kind of almost test each other because this was such long rallies with such great play and such athleticism um, and barely any unforced errors. So I think it was um, one of the best finals of the year. Excellent. And Joel, um, what did you make of, of the Vienna final when you kind of tuned in from, from home? Did you see me, Joel? I had a sign I, up. I was, I was looking out for you. I did not. I did not see you. Rose Z, I was in. <laughs> I was just curious, actually, what in from being in the arena was was there a slight pro sinner vibe in the crowd, or was it pro? I mean, it's basically a home tournament um, because obviously he's more uh, he's German speaking and his family are German speaking. It's actually his Italian is not necessarily his most comfortable mm. language that he speaks. Um, so he is welcomed there like it's a home event. It's a bit like Ostrava where. Igor Sviontek had more support than Krajikova because of how close it was with the border. So it very much had that feeling. And at times, I think Medvedev was gesturing to the crowd to say, come on, I'm playing pretty well as well. And um, uh, he needed a bit of support, which is, you're surprised because he's, he's a very popular player, Medvedev. But if Sinner was on the court, he was um, he almost took the mantra from um, when team was knocked out, it became the Sinner show for for Vienna. I mean, he, he had a great, he had a great week and I look at the run he's been on, uh, you know, for a 500 draw, this was, this was pretty tough. I mean, we were talking about first round Sinner versus Ben Shelton. That's a very tough opening. Then going through to Sonigo, Tiafo, then Rublev, even just to get to the final of a 500. I think it just shows what a high level and prestigious event I think that Vienna Open is and how it's almost kind of carved it out in the calendar. But in the final, I felt that almost every point was a battle in itself. It was so captivating, I thought, and so entertaining. And, uh, you know, people are talking about this this rivalry that is blossoming almost kind of out of nowhere. I know the head-to-head is still very much favourable to Daniel Medvedev, but, you know, the way they you know come onto the court... And they go toe to toe from the baseline. I personally felt that Sinner almost beat Daniel Medvedev at his own game from mm. the back of the court. I think this surface maybe was a little bit slower than surfaces he's played on recently in like in like Beijing, which I think was a bit faster. And I was thinking, was that going to suit Medvedev? But yeah, I think Sinner just executed better. Medvedev's serving at times maybe could have been a bit more on point, but yeah, Sinner just seems to be in a really good groove at the moment and um it's interesting i mean paris is coming up i don't know if he's going to be knackered from you know the exertions of of vienna and whether he might take it easy going into the tour finals but i would just keep on going because he's building up this momentum that's reminding me a little bit of you know how coco golf started at the start of the um you know the american hardcourt swing that she followed through all the way to the u.s open Mm. Well, we have seen players in, in the past have a tremendous run of form right at the close of the season. So you're you're quite right, Joel. Perhaps he will continue in this in this run. And I think it's nice that you know he's played Medvedev a couple of times this year. Medvedev got the better of him earlier in the year. They met in the finals in Rotterdam and Miami. Sinner's managed to kind of level that off now. Um, I think two wins apiece this year. So perhaps going into 2024, this this is the rivalry that's going to develop it's food further, for thought, isn't it? Yeah, perhaps it's not going to be Sinner Alcaraz. Perhaps Sinner Medvedev is going to be what we never knew we needed. Yeah, in your Who face, knows? Wimbledon marketing team. <laughs> um, and, you know, we, you mentioned earlier, seven of the top eight seeds got through to, you know, the quarterfinals. So it, very, the seeds actually doing very well in this tournament. We spoke last week about how they hadn't had a great week previously. So actually performing, uh, which is nice for all the fans like you, Chris, you know, going and attending. You want to see the top players at the latter stages. And, you know, that's what people largely got. Um, Chris just before we kind of touch upon um, you know other tournaments any tips for anyone thinking of going to this event you know in future years that you'd like to share with our listeners for me it's one of the best kind of events I've been to from a, a size perspective it's a fantastic arena it's a fantastic atmosphere obviously it's indoors so you know you're going to get played no matter what it's very well run they attract great players and it feels like if you if you are thinking about going to a 500 it's at a great point of the season as well where there is this big prize of the ATP finals on the line so there's a lot of focus on the matches a lot of intensity and I think sometimes at the start of the year you can get tournaments where players are sort of you know they've added to their schedule they're going to see where they fall by the end of the year but this really um, did have kind of a, a big sort of event feel for a 500 um, and felt like almost the warm-up act towards Paris. So I would say if you 
our fencing one out of out of the two 500s that are on this week um for my experience of vienna i'd say it's a no-brainer and also take in some of the sites ask him for some details she can give you some great <laughs> tips yeah well i did go to vienna earlier in the year the city has so much on offer and i feel like actually at this time of the year you could do um a tennis and city kind of travel because you've got paris vienna like, these are great european cities so you bit could definitely yeah. do a bit of like a road trip through europe and in italy um, yeah, exactly. Kim, I feel like you're volunteering to open up uh, the Tennis Weekly Podcast Travel Agency. Is Tennis that, Weekly um, Tours. Tennis Weekly Tours. <laughs> yes, Well, with Kim. never say never. <laughs> <laughs> um, let's take our tour bus to Basel for the Swiss indoors because we had another 500 event there. Um, again, lots to play for as we get closer to um, the end of season finals. And we had a player win this event who has had a pretty shocking season to be honest uh, but he came out on top he's defended his title from last year here at Baal and that was Felix Auger Aliassime uh, who got the better of Hubert Hercash in two tie break sets in the final shock horror tie breaks and Hubert Hercash I know I mean this just goes with the territory doesn't it <laughs> <laughs> but yeah great for Felix you know he came into this match with a 17-18 tour level record this season which for a top player is not what you want at all um, yet this week, you know, he's managed to come through, defend his title, clinch um, clinch this trophy and, you know, have have a cracking week, which is kind of come out of nowhere because we weren't really expecting this based on his form running into it. What do you think he did so well, Joel, that, that got him the win this week? I mean, he just looked like a he just looked like a player reborn. I mean, particularly in that semi-final against Holger Rune, six three, six two, straight sets. I just felt like he he overpowered Rune at times, and particularly on his ground strokes, his forehand. It's just such effortless power that it reminded you, I think, of of the talent, the pure talent that that Felix Oje Aliassim holds. That he hasn't necessarily shown it that much this season, and um, I almost felt like he, he sort of fell back in love with, with tennis with this tournament because of the the tennis that he was showing the ground strokes from the baseline his serve as well and um putting that all together yeah it was very very impressive from him and i think that the back end of last season he went on a, a run of you know successive tournaments where he was champion and he really does revel i think in the indoor indoor environment roof over the head i'm sure team canada are, are very happy to see this as well with you know davis cup finals you know coming up and um he's almost used it to to get his mojo back because i was sort of wondering like when's when's it going to happen it needs to happen given all the points he's had to defend so it's taken its time but maybe he's just got back to enjoying tennis with the you know with the edge of things whereas for Hubert Hercage with tour final spot on the line maybe the pressure just got to him in that final yeah but a bit of a yeah because he's very very close to trying to make that final eight whereas I think FAA is is a bit too far down like he's number 29 in the race now he was 59 in the race which goes to show how bad his season had been what I love though is that Felix you know he lost his first eight finals as we know it was a it was a big deal you know he kept getting to finals not able to get get the win but now his past six um finals he's been in he's won five of them so I think to be able to turn that statistic around is is impressive, even if he hasn't had the best of seasons. Um, Chris, what what do you make of of Felix and his attitude and ability when it comes to finals? When he finally does get there now, because it's almost like a complete reverse from you know when he was first getting to finals. Yeah, I think it was really something that stuck in his head, um, playing in those moments, and I think getting over the line. Uh, the first time and kind of getting that final win, I think it is a really big weight off you. And I think it means that in those moments, you aren't just kind of got to get one. You know, you're thinking, right, I can add to my collection, which is quite a different mindset. I think in terms of the way that he's played this year, I think a lot of people thought coming into this final that he he would be tested again in a similar way where these finals are, they're not easy to win. Um, and against a player like Hercat, who's obviously coming on a winning run, um, it's definitely a case where... Uh, he wasn't the favourite in that. And these were two very tight tie-break sets. So if you aren't playing well um, and you have lost a lot of close matches like he has recently, um, you'd have to say that Felix was not the favourite. So uh, it's definitely a positive and what has been a very difficult year for him. And 
it's not going to get that much better unless he can pull some really great results just because he had such a great run at the end of last season. I mean, he's got a Paris semi-final to defend and the points from the ATP finals that will be dropping off where he had that sort of remarkable um, result over kind of a, a not 100% Nadal um, at the ATP finals. So it's not plain sailing yet. He he has dropped, as you say, to 29 in the rankings. So it's going to be it's going to be tricky, but hopefully, and as we, we do always say this when someone has a good result, we don't want to jinx it. Um, hopefully it's almost the curse is lifted um, and he can get back to playing some of that tennis he was playing at the end of last season because when he is playing well, for anyone who saw it, I mean, when he when he beat Runa and made that look pretty simple in that first set, I mean, that was stunning tennis, similar to when he beat Alcaraz at the same tournament last year in the same round in the semifinals. It was, you know, really putting your mark in the sand and if he could do that a bit more consistently, we can see him challenging at slams again, hopefully. Mm. And, I mean, he beat um, Holger Rune in the semi-final as well. Um, what did you make of that, Chris? Uh, because Holger Rune was the top seed here, but, you know, Felix beat him pretty comfortably. Any thoughts on, on Rune this week? Well, I'd, I'll tell you what, the strange thing was that um, one of the people who was doing the most promo for Vienna was Boris Becker. So he was always on the screen saying how much he liked being in Vienna. And then I saw that he wasn't <laughs> even in Vienna. <laughs> so that was a bit confusing because I thought, wait, is he allowed to go to Switzerland? Like what's going on here? It felt like it was a bit odd, but um, he was with his coach. Uh, so it was his first sort of week playing um, fully with his new coaching setup. And again, it, it's a better result than he has had. Um, I was that person um, who was streaming his match against Echeverry whilst I was in a break at the tennis over in Vienna. So I was doing you proud there, Joel, in terms of com- commitment to tennis. And <laughs> it seemed like he he's up for competing again. Um, and I think that win in the first round was the big win for him uh, because he was able to kind of overturn that result from the week before where he lost early in the first round in straight sets. And he actually lost that first set and came through. So um, a positive week. I, I don't think he's a cert to qualify for the end of season finals. And Joel, I'll bring you in here because we will talk about it a bit later but I mean, it's going to come down to how you play in the final final, um, final uh, tournament, really, before qualifying. And he's got to defend the title. So it's sink or swim, really. And, and this was a, a nudge towards the line, but he isn't over it yet. Again, it just feels like there's this element of pressure there. And it, it does make the end of the, the season exciting in terms of those last spots for Turin, who's going to get them. And uh, it feels like, yeah, maybe the pressure is telling on, on not just Herkaj, but others as well and um you know Casper Ruud you know he was the second seed I mean he went out to Dominic Stricker in, mm. in in the second round so it still feels like very much up for grabs going down to the wire and uh we'll just have to see but it feels like at the moment whoever is in that last spot arguably they're probably making up the numbers more than more than Your anything favorite phrase Joel no, I know, up the numbers. I know. <laughs> we said we said for the WTA finals that no one was doing no that. one and is then, making up the numbers well and then we had Mukova withdraw so technically someone is making up the numbers literally yeah. but um <laughs> well did anyone make up the numbers at the elite trophy in Zuhai because we have had a you know that's that's now been completed we've had Beatrice had admire winning that event uh beating Chin Wen Zheng in the final. Uh, again, two, two tie break sets in this final as well. A very, very uh, long tie break in the first set as well. But Hadad Maya getting her third career tour title by beating uh, Chin Wen Zheng. Um, what did you make of this? Because I think one of you had Hadad Maya down to win this. Was this when you, we Joel? Honestly, no, it I wasn't had me. Chin Wen, I had Chin Wen Zheng uh, did winning. Did I go I you think you went Madison Keys. I always go. Did you go Madison Keys, Kim? I can't I remember. I said Keys or Kazakina or so Ostapenko. I can't remember. We, we really did spread it out, and none of yeah. us. We maybe mentioned her. I was waiting. I had like the WhatsApp message in my drafts because I genuinely thought Jin Wen Zheng was gonna, you know, mm. win it with her home crowd in Zhuhai and, um, you know, and, and pull out the victory in the final. But you know, had admire is such a feisty competitor she's got such a good i think mental approach to the game and i just don't think she was phased by the power of of chin wen Zheng and what she can bring to the court but also the you know the context and the crowd as well and um it was a really competitive final i thought it was a great tournament to be honest i thought there were some really great matches the semi-final as well between Zheng and zhu lin of China was a, another like three hour plus battle. Um, I thought there were some very, very good matches, but um, yeah, had admired, I think just mentally, she's just so strong 
and in even in a really tough environment such as this against it you know home um you know home player with home support she got the job done and it was very very impressive yeah and i think um like you said I mean, no one really was making up the numbers perhaps here because Haddad Meyer was the eighth seed. So apart from, I think, Julian, who was the sort of wild card, you know, she was the one that statistically was least likely to win. But, you know, she she got, you know, she won all her matches, um, didn't she? So really coming out comfortable on top. And this was her first title, actually, since um, I think, well, Birmingham 2022, first title on hard courts in wow. yeah, about a year and a half. So actually, you know, considering she, she's had some really good results, like semis at the French, but to come home with, you know, yes, this isn't the WTA finals, but it's still, you know, a decent um, tournament. It's kind of the next best thing, yeah. isn't it? A so really big boost. Yeah, really big boost. Great way to finish the season for her. And she had a really unfortunate event. This was in Guadalajara where her shower door actually shattered and injured both of her hands. So she actually had to pull out of a few tournaments in this sort of freak accident. Mm. So um, kind of after that incident, I think a lot of people will be pleased to see that she was able to to come through and and have a good end to the season because um, that is, I mean, that's awful luck. And she was due a good bit of luck and it's come in the form of a title. And she won the doubles as well, I do believe. So When it rains, it pours. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> precisely. But one peculiarity that's kind of surfaced, um, because we've got this event having just finished and we've got the WTA finals in Cancun underway, you know, starting. Um, I was trying to get my heads around this, but Chris, you're probably the best place to explain it. Um, it's If you're a player who's, say, like ranked nine in the world... Would you go and play the WTA finals or would you play this this elite trophy? Because you're sort of on the cusp, aren't you? But what would actually be the better tournament to play in terms of advancing your career, like ranking points, prize well, money? I mean, where, where would you go if you that, were a That player? is the question. And this is something that we'll, we'll go to Joel with this as well. But there is this sort of strange WTA loophole here where the ATP only has the ATP finals, whereas the WTA has the elite trophy as well as the WTA finals, meaning that kind of in these sort of end of season or post season sort of competitions where you are able to get a very odd thing where you might not qualify for the top eight, but you might be ninth and you win the title of the elite trophy and that could put you into the top eight, which seems a bit odd if, if the season was done and you didn't make it there. So they do have this strange thing where you get 125 points for losing a match in the round robin. So just from showing up in Cancun for the WTA finals, you will leave with 375 points. So if it were me and I was thinking, you know what, I don't fancy my chances... Um, I would probably bank on the 375 points because the winner got 700 in the Elite Trophy. But it does it's a strange thing. And I think, Joel, you can come in in terms of ATP finals. If you lose your matches, you get zero points. In the WTA finals, if you lose your matches, you end up with more than a 250, almost a 500 final in your points. It seems like it's a reward for getting there. But is it a bit strange to reward kind of losses? Do you know what? I feel like after 12 months of the season... I think there should be a, a reward in, in getting there. And regardless of your performance, I actually do think like you should get ranking points, even if you do go 0-3, because even though, as I say, you, you, you've gone out you know, in, the, in the first round or, or in the group stage, just getting there, I think, is, a, is an achievement and should be recognised. And yeah, I know you're playing the best, best players in the world, but I, I think personally... I think I'm. I think you should get ranking points if if you def- are defeated because I because it, it's at the end of the season for me, and it's it's the top eight. It's almost it's invitational. You got to make it. I think there should be some reward to that. And the prize money, Kim. I should have said that the prize money's definitely bigger at the WTA finals. Um, so mm. maybe maybe I should maybe I'd go for that one because just from turning up my appearance fee. Um, <laughs> wait, no appearance <laughs> fees, but you do get win more prize money even if you don't come uh, first or end up winning the title or anything like that. Yeah, and the other thing about the uh, elite trophy is that the doubles, it's not the actual pairs that have come like ninth to uh, like. It's a bit of a hodgepodge. Seven, it's just anyone, <laughs> basically. It <does> feels very <laughs> cursory. Yeah. But yeah. not, not that we're taking anything away from Haddad Meyer's doubles title. No, um, we, we love doubles, but it does feel um, a bit strange when you have kind of like one of the players playing singles and she's chosen not to play in the doubles. Um, mm. Because then it feels like it's more um, 
people who are there that feel like having a swing. <laughs> you know, it feels like a, every every team is a wild card. Put it that way. Yeah, no. Well, fair play. And well done to Haddad Maya for coming through in Zhuhai. We're going to take a quick break now, but do join us in the second half where we'll be discussing Jensen Brooksby's 18-month drugs ban from tennis, Simona Halep's appeal to the court of arbitration, and all the action so far at the WTA finals and as well at the Paris Masters, which have both got underway. So do not go anywhere. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Welcome back to the Tennis Weekly Podcast, sponsored by DownloadTennis.com. Now we're going to move on to a bit of par for the courts. Um, And I do believe that, Chris, you have one up your sleeve. Is that correct? I do indeed. Um, I have got one. We are going to be testing your knowledge from a decade ago. I thought, you know what, 2019 was the test last time. Why not throw it back an extra six years um, at a time when tennis um, was arguably, you know, there were some great rivalries and some fantastic competition that happened at the end of season finals. So in a similar vein to the Elite Trophy, we are looking for the eight players that took to the court in 2013. So no alternates, no swapping in. It's the players that qualified and played. Gotcha. It's going to be tricky. Who's feeling the most confident? Because you can go second. Joel smiling. Kim, would you like to go first? (laughs) Um, Yeah, I'll go first. It's fine. It's all good. I did actually go to quite a lot of this tournament. I was there for most of the days. Uh, and actually, Joel, I think this is where we met for the first time. I think, I think you're right, actually. At the, uh, I believe it was the Corona Bar. The Corona um, Bar. Weekly history. Well, did you take to the court? This was the if formation. So, could... Oh, actually, I mean, this was just me meeting Kim in a bar next to some tennis. Sounds I rather think, interesting. Very close to the practice court, I think. There was a, yeah, there used to be practice courts, but there was a little like mini, kind of like paddle, but like a mini tennis thing, which was hilarious. Um, and I remember a dodgy burrito I had from that bar, which didn't uh, end well the next day. But anyway, um, players from that year, Novak Djokovic. Yes, that is a correct answer, unsurprisingly. Roger Federer. Yes, Roger Federer did play. Rafael Nadal. The number one seed, indeed. Mm. So... You're not really allowed to say Rafa, are you, Joel? You had to leave that one for Kim. Yeah, um, I'm just amazed Rafa was at the tour finals, to be honest. Uh, it doesn't normally make it that far. Um, I'm going to say 2013, Thomas Burditch. That's a correct answer. Um, Stan Wawrinka. Oh, that's a good shout. That's a correct answer. Well done, Kim. Knocking off all the Swiss answers there. I'm going to... I don't know if this is... Is this past his peak? I think this is... I think he still would have been in there. Tom... Sorry, Thomas Burditch? (laughs) Um... David Ferrer? I'm not going to let you have Thomas Burditch twice, but I will let you have David Ferrer. Yes. That's the correct answer. Come on. Oh, um, oh God. Um, I think there's just two names left I again. I know, I know. Oh, 2013, 2013. And a noticeable absence, of course. Noticeable absence? Oh, okay. Um... Oh. Was this person actually not injured at this time? I know he was in the doubles um, to one of them. Because <laughs> I, oh, but I don't think this person was in singles. Um, 
Cast your mind back. What do you remember seeing, Kim? Well, I remember seeing Stan Wawrinka against Rafa, uh, but I've said those two. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just trying to see, remember what players I saw walking to and from various places. I'm going to have um, to push you for time, Sorry. Kim. Oh, gosh. Um, Del Potro. Oh. That's a correct answer. Oh. That means... It's a shootout. You have to give the correct answer, Joel, to draw with oh. Kim. I've got two names in my head. Um, who would have been around that time? Oh, this is tense. How confident are you feeling? <sighs> who am I going to go with? I'm going to go with... I'm going to go with... Marin Cilic. I have to tell you that Kim has won. It's a real tricky one to guess here. What was your second guess? Grigor Dimitrov. No, I'm uh, Kim. Do you have any more names? Anyone else you remember seeing walking the halls? No, no. I've got no idea. I remember seeing a lot of Fernando Vadasco, but he won the doubles, I think, with David Marrero that year. He was there. That's correct. And was with Marrero. Wow, Kim. (laughs) She's on the doubles instead, Joel. You'd be in real trouble. (laughs) But in terms of singles, who are we waiting for? Grigor Dimitrov? It's a French player. A sort of songer. Monfils. It was Richard Gasquet. Wow. We never have got that. Wow. We qualified in eight. So in order... um, Unfortunately, Murray did have to pull out injured. But in order of qualification, it was Rafael Nadal, Novak Djokovic, David Ferrer, Juan Martin Del Potro, Thomas Burditch, Roger Federer, Stan Wawrinka, and Richard Gasquet. So mm. he was the ninth qualifier because Murray was the fourth qualifier. So um, well remembered. And who knew that I'd hit upon Tennis Weekly history or touched upon it in that sense? Um and Kim, you were paying more attention than we thought um, after that dodgy burrito. <laughs> I know, indeed. Well, thanks, Chris, for giving us a trip down memory lane. Um, let's bring it back to 2023 now, because we have had uh, a question in our mailbag from Vanessa via email, who said that, um, hi, guys, in Cancun at the official draw ceremony, the WTA final eight revealed who would be their dream celebrity plus one that they would like to walk the red carpet with. Uh, so we had people um, say various things. Jesse Pagula said Dua Lipa. Uh, Iga Svantec said Taylor Swift. And Elena Rabakina very sweetly said her sister, um, who I don't think is a celebrity, but you know, that's who she wants to go down uh, the red carpet with. So um, Vanessa is asking us who our plus one would be um, for a red carpet, uh, which has got us all thinking. And we can't say each other because obviously Joel does consider himself a celebrity at this point. (laughs) And we can't say Rafael Nadal, Kim. I'm I'm already putting that out there. Okay, fine. He's a celebrity, no. (laughs) So, um, well, I was thinking... I mean, if I if I go down the Rebecca route, then I would say like my boyfriend, obviously, if we're on a red carpet. But if I'm thinking celebrity, I would say Miranda Hart. I think she would be a laugh to go down a red carpet with. Oh, okay, oh, that Could would be quite fun. Gallop down the carpet. She likes tennis as well, so Which there we go. A bit of a height difference there as well, so it'd be quite entertaining to. To see in person, I could wear I think. very tall hills, perhaps on the beach in Cancun. Goodness, <laughs> that would be what brave. about you guys? Who would you have? I I've said Daniel Craig for some reason. Sorry, what you wanted to Daniel Craig? Daniel Craig. I think he. I mean, he's Bond walked enough. Vibes. He's walked enough red carpets in he's his certainly time. Certainly walked up a few he beaches, can, hasn't he? He can show you know? the rope. He can show me the ropes <laughs> of how to do a red carpet properly. Um, and uh. wear a tux as well. I think um, as as James Bond. So uh, yeah, I've gone Daniel Craig. Goodness. So you went for almost like a experienced red carpenter I've gone quite differently from this I just thought go for the most famous person you can possibly think of and I went for Beyonce um, just because I think she's showed an interest in tennis before and she might give me an in with Serena Williams which <laughs> could also be great um, yeah so I think I probably followed the, okay. the WTA players a bit more um, 
I did see that Andre Burr said Jessica Alba. <laughs> I'm like, oh, that's yes. a quite a retro. <laughs> quite, are you a big uh, fan of her skincare line? I was quite confused by that. But um, so, uh, well, at least Maria Sakkari was the most honest. Who said Han- Henry Cavill? So I think maybe she thought, you know, who could be the best bit of arm candy she could get? Maybe in a similar way to what Joel went with with Daniel Craig. There, yeah. well, yeah. would Daniel Craig be sporting a, a fellow goatee, perhaps facial Ooh, hair? Probably a not. Probably a lad's not. trip to the WTO finals. <laughs> <laughs> well, I liked what Von Drusva said. She said, I have everyone I need, uh, which is very, like, she must be practicing gratitude there. If she She's got a cat and a, even a husband, right? That was the two people. Yeah. <laughs> so I thought her response was good. Good fun. But thanks, Vanessa, for your question. Keep them coming. We love to, um, to see what uh, you'd like us to answer in our mailbag each week. Um, and let's move on to some updates as well from the tour. Uh, we've had, well, we're kind of going down the, the subject of drugs for the next few minutes because um, Jensen Brooksby uh, he has been suspended uh, for, for 18 months so he will not be coming back to tennis until January 2025 and this is because he missed three doping tests over a 12 month period um, he has disputed um, one of those in particular he did accept responsibility for the first and the third missed tests but has disputed the second missed test uh, so we won't be seeing him around for a while unless for some reason this is overturned um wh- what do you both make of this i know you know it's we heard that he you know sort of had these um this situation but it's it's kind of been officially decided um but he will be appealing it but but you know what do you make of this chris any particular surprise at, at this decision i don't think that we are surprised i mean Brooksby hadn't been active on the tour. He wasn't training. He was doing some punditry here and there. Um, Again, it's very similar to the EMA sort of drugs ban situation where uh, it's a case of um, there's, you can't miss three tests. Um, And when we spoke to Casper in in Bostar, he did say that he'd had a couple of times in his career. I think he said he'd had two times that he'd missed tests because the whereabouts system isn't necessarily perfect, but in terms of kind of maintaining the integrity of the sport, I think debating one of the missed tests, um, saying that it was not your fault is fine. But then I do think you have to throw attention to the other two missed tests because the biggest reason that you would miss a test, and I'm not accusing him in any way of this, is because you don't think you're going to test negative. Um, and so in terms of the, the, the incident in question, I do think I have some sympathy if the hotel room was never called. But overall, I think you have to send a message that players cannot afford to be on two missed tests. And it's very, very um, risky to be in that sort of a situation. And especially when it comes to questioning the second test, when you miss the third one, it feels like if that one was in question, um, you really have to be extra careful. So um, a tough lesson to learn. And I hope that he does come back and commit to playing on, on the tour because he does have such a great and interesting game to watch. So... Um, disappointing for him, obviously, but I think a lesson learned. He's sort of become like the the forgotten man. I feel in in American mm. tennis because there was all this sort of noise and, and hype about him. I think you know he had had to have wrist surgery earlier in the season, and it, it basically just put him out of action for a long time. And and Ben Shelton has come uh, has come along. So you know, I hope I hope to see him back at some point. But yeah, three miss three miss tests to me. You know, whether he's young and, and he's still kind of learning, I, it's just, I think it's just a lesson maybe he's going to have to take on the chin that, you know, he can't have his, for example, he can't have his phone on silent or can't well, in the hour, to... In the hour, you know that that's the hour they could come, mm. you know, and your phone is on silent and they will call you if you can't. So that's the thing, right? Yeah, well, another uh, player who... Um, is having issues with with drug bans is obviously Simona Halep because she was handed a ban um, by the International Tennis Integrity Agency for what they called intentional doping offences. Um, she has, you know, been banned for four years. She wouldn't be due to kind of come back until October 2026, by which time she'll be age 35. Um, she has appealed. Um, she has requested that the decision be be set aside and that her her you know the length of her ban be be reduced so um i mean this is all because of irregularities in her uh, athlete biological passport um but she has officially kind of appealed that decision and filed that 
She is not going quietly, is she? She wants, you know, she's exploring absolutely every possibility because, you know, I think she knows like time is short. You know, her career is coming to it's is coming into kind of the, the twilight years of, of a tennis player's career. I mean, if the ban is upheld, um, she'll be 35, you know, next time she would be able to step on a on a tennis court. And, you know, she obviously does not want that to happen feels like she is innocent and the only way she is going to be granted that innocence now is putting it to the court of arbitration for sport it it feels like this is the last this is the last stand Mm. this is the last stand that she can take before you know whether she likes it or not something is going to be definite and, and finite if yeah. you have if you have the money and the means and you are in this situation and this is your career, there's no reason why you wouldn't take it to, to the Court of Arbitration for Sport. I think this is not surprising news. Um, I think they would have to obviously find, you know, uh, things that would overturn the positive test result that happened as well as um, the blood passport. So it's going to be it's going to be a tricky one. Uh, we did cover this at the time. So we do have some podcasts that talk about, you know, the Halep case. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was, if you look them up, they are the Davis Cup podcast that we had. It was the, I believe, the first and second Davis Cup podcast to get the Tennis Weekly viewpoint there. <laughs> but um, it does look like the journey for Simona Halep is is ongoing on her quest to, to try and return to the tour and, and get this ban either overturned or reduced. Yeah. Well, she's doing everything she can. And I guess we'll just have to wait for further updates and news. Um, Meanwhile, the tour continues and uh, players keep on playing. And we've got the WTA end of season finals out in Cancun at the moment. A bit of controversy since that has begun. We've had the opening groups kind of matches. Kim, there was controversy before it began, I feel. Well, before there was a venue, there was that controversy. That is true. Controversial Cancun. I mean, we've had world number one, Arena Sabalenka, coming out, criticising the facilities, criticising the court, criticising the organisation, criticising the WTA. Um, you know, the court was finished just days before the tournament started on Sunday. Um, she said that she doesn't feel safe moving around on the court. The bounce is not consistent. It's just not acceptable. Um, there have been other players like Rabakina also speaking out against the court. And um, basically, they're both saying they feel very disrespected by the WTA because, you know, they're in charge of putting on a world-class event for world-class players. And they do not feel that it's living up to that. Um, Joel, what do you make of what we've seen so far in Cancun and the kind of standard that we're seeing from not the tennis, but the actual court and the the facilities? I mean, it's it's just been one big shambles, uh, you know, from the very beginning, you know, making a tennis court from scratch is always going to, there's always going to naturally be more danger to that than going into an existing tennis stadium like Ostrava, for example, where you know, you know, you know what you're going to get. You might have played that tournament before. You know what that surface is going to be like. But if you make something from scratch, give players as little time as possible to one day, as little time as possible to adjust uh, to the conditions, then of course you're going to get unhappy players because, you know, this is the showpiece event. You know, they want to show their skills, you know, as much as possible to the crowds. And if, if they're not confident with what's under their feet, they're not going to feel like they can do that. And you can see that in terms of it's not just an isolated person, you know, saying it. We're seeing it now from multiple people in the final eight. I think Sabalenka, of course, is, I feel like, being the most vocal. But um, it's just very, very sloppy and it's just a shame. I mean, I go back to the fact that we've got an absolutely stellar cast here and the infrastructure is is not from what I've seen, it's it's not living up to their standards. I mean, seeing like the, the beach sand on the tennis court, it's not a good look, is it? It's it's bad. And I think it, it is bigger than that because last week we were talking about kind of the rebuttal from Steve Simon in terms of the WTA's financial situation and what you'd want coming out of that would be an exemplary Cancun WTA finals. And it has been, as you say, a shambles. And this is not a premier event. This is not being run like a premier event. And I think that is the difficulty here is that the WTA is saying one thing, but this is not, it's not good. Um, And I think when it comes down to kind of gender equality in the sport, this is not doing justice to women's tennis and the players who are at the top of the game. 
um, and they talk about the objectives they have, well, maybe have the objective of choosing a venue for the WTA finals, do a biggest tournament that you organize and make it so that the players feel safe and get a court that's finished more than one day before because they were practicing on hotel courts that had just been resurfaced um, and there were only two of them. And bear in mind, this is singles and doubles players who were there. So it's another another bad, bad move from the, the WTA. And you just hope that, I mean, I'm not sure what they can do to improve it, but it, it looks like the court isn't even playable today necessarily. I think what's interesting is that, you know, there were comments today coming out from, from Magda Lynette who's on the WTA Player Council, and she spoke about Ostrava versus Cancun. And she said, the disadvantage in Ostrava was that we did not have a 100% guarantee that all the girls would be able to play. If even one was not allowed into the country, the tournament would not take place, which would result in a huge penalty. And this was regarding kind of Russian and, and Belarusian players. But I almost feel like, well, okay, if that's the case and you wanted to go with Cancun, I'm almost I'm a little bit like, well, you've got to accept that if you're going to go to somewhere that hasn't got a tennis court or an existing infrastructure in place in the first place, you're going to be running, you're going to be running other risks as well. So I'm almost a little bit like, well, if the player council's kind of like signed it off or, or we're up to it. Mm, but they didn't sign off shoddy workmanship when it came to. The I know they would probably it. assume the that, pitch deck. I'm pretty sure said yeah, it wouldn't be finished one day. They prior. would assume that you know they would get a premier tennis court and all that sort of stuff. But I, I, I still think like if something is being built from scratch on a very short time scale, you're asking for trouble. Well, but then only thing I'd say in if they want the top players to happen, because if, if you couldn't have Sabalenka there, for example, or if there were kind of other players um, who would kind of be not necessarily allowed to play in Czech Republic, the tournament wouldn't happen is what they said. So it was a choice between, you know, Saudi Arabia, Cancun and Ostrava, where you might not even be able to have the tournament. It was like the worst best option. Exactly. And mm. that's the advert for WTA finals in Cancun. <laughs> Well, let's her. Well, we well, maybe Vienna will hire us for the tourist board, but Cancun won't. Seeing as we've spoken at quite different, you know, differences between the two, we'd happily but, go to the resort. Looks lovely. Oh yes, but and that just goes to show, doesn't it, that the WTA players just feel let down by the WTA because the ATP seemingly have all this money to put on fantastic events, and the the ladies are just being let down, um, sadly, and it's just a really bad image um, and players are upset and obviously they're entitled to speak out about that and we hope that for future years this will be really like taken on board and we'll we'll avoid this from happening again I mean in terms of the actual tennis we have had um, Sabalenka absolutely thrash Zachary in her opening match it was for brutal. the loss of just one game um, so she wasn't letting everything get to her you know in terms of the actual result uh, we also had Jessie Pagula beat Rebecca in her 7-5-6-2 uh, Rebecca in her serving for the first set and then just kind of collapsing really and losing 10 of the next 12 games so um that's been the opening round uh of the B- Bacalar group I want to say um we've also got the Chetumal group uh which has Svantec, Goff, Jabor and Von Drusva. um any quick predictions who do we think's winning this event uh one one name Chris it's all about the red red dress it's all about Iga Ooh. she's got that Ooh, that vibe okay. going, she's gonna get back to world number one I think she's, oh, it's going to be tricky. I think Savalenka, based on what we've seen, it's hard not to say her, but I think Iga's hungry, really hungry to get it back. But having said that, if I had to say one curveball, Ons, if you give her a court with a dodgy bounce, she has the most skills to deal with it, is what I'd say. Great point. That's a great point. Joel, who are you <sighs> going for? Yeah, it's interesting because the players have been talking about the wind being a big factor. And I, what I'm thinking about who that could benefit the most. Um, if you're going to push me for one name. Who is it? I can't tell who you're going to say. I'm going to say Sabalenka. I, I'm going to be oh, boring. Of course he did. I'm going to be boring. I've got number to go with seed. the form book. She's been the one. most consistent across the season. Okay. Um, she absolutely dismantled Zachary. I've just got to go Sabalenka. Go on, Kim. Say I something think it was a wild card. <laughs> Von Drusova. Von Drusova then, I think the ultimate wild card. Um, uh, really, I mean, I know she's the Wimbledon champion, but I just, no one's really talking about her. Um, 
so I would. I do think that red dress though uh, is is doing oh, you it think for me. The red dress is I, the I honestly X think factor. She lady has, in red. She's yeah. She's laid down a marker there. That's for sure. Yeah. She means. She means. Oh, all eyes on eager. Kim, you were you were giving the 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 finals DJ uh, lady in red. You, you, <laughs> I'm waiting for that moment now. I don't want to start singing it now, but I'm not going to torture our listeners. If she wins the title, she could do karaoke in the red dress. That could be yes. nice. Yes. Well, we do, we've been talking about WGA and karaoke recently, haven't we? But anyway, let's look at also, um, you know, we'll, we'll be rounding up the WGA finals next week, but let's look at the Paris Masters, which is also underway. So we've got the 1000 event uh, in Paris for the men. Novak Djokovic is actually there. So is Carlos Alcaraz. Um, we don't need there. the Paris Masters anymore because we got that we got that practice tie break between between Djokovic and Alcaraz uh, already People last lost, night. They lost their minds over that. I, <laughs> I mean, know. We just like never saw that over. between like Federer and Nadal, did we? Like in, in like practice mode. Well, no, but There's so that's already now, entertaining yeah. the fans. Um, Andy Murray sadly already lost, like we said earlier, to Tough Alex loss. Lenore. Yeah, Tough Joel, loss. you recovered yet from that? No, really. I mean... You know, again, similar position. He's been in that position against Alex de Menor before in his in his last match, and these are the sorts of losses that hurt. And I think beyond that, these are the sorts of losses that make you question: should I should I continue playing? Because we never really associated Andy Murray as a player who cannot close out matches, but it seems that he's having a little bit of an issue at the moment, particularly against someone like a, an Alex de Menor who. At the net, at the finish, almost looked a bit sad in in the handshake in terms of like, sorry, I had to do that to you. But um, it's a really tough moment for Andy Murray. And I think if there's ever a moment he's been reflecting on, do I call it quits at the end of the season? I think a defeat like, like this will give him a really long, hard look in the mirror. Mm. I mean, he, he is the number 13 seed at the tournament, so... Being competitive uh, and almost having it twice, just it can also give That's you hope. That's what's so frustrating because the level, the level is there, but the defeats will. It gets, the, the defeats it gets will tougher sting. to close. It really does, and I think people talk about it as when you're young, you don't think about it in that way, and now you really feel the pressure because you know you might not get other chance in the match, and it, it just happens. So, I mean, it's super, super tricky and super tough for fans and. And I mean, if you're in a support camp, it's it's heartbreaking watching that sort of a result because um, he has been so close. But I mean, Paris is where we're going to find out who's going to be in the lineup for the ATP finals as well. So, I mean, when we come to predictions for this, it's almost saying, who do you think might make it? And I'm telling you, her catch versus Calder, that might end up deciding it a little bit, you know, in terms of that's a very tough early opponent to face for her catch. Mm, I thought that was the standout kind of first round from me because they're both in pretty good form and they're both players I predicted. Was it the other week? Yes, um, you did, Kim. <laughs> did very still well. bringing that one up, are you? <laughs> still but dining who, out on that. <laughs> yeah. Who do you think's going to do well? I mean, who's going to win? What, one word. Are we getting, like, are we getting, are we getting Alcaraz Djokovic proper? <sighs> I don't think so. I don't think we're going to get Alcaraz. No? I think he's been mm. a bit rusty. Well, I think he's already be- admitted he's not 100% fit. Yeah, I think it's going to be Djokovic Medvedev. I think that's looking likely as well. I think based on the Medvedev that I saw, I think we might get a, a Sinner Djokovic. I think that would be pretty enjoyable to see kind of where Sinner's level is at against Djokovic ahead of the ATP sort of finals. But I mean, it's it's going to be tough to see. I mean, maybe it will just be a case everyone loses early and, you know, Sitsipas, Zverev and Runa will qualify. <laughs> I feel like that might yeah. be the most likely situation. Yes, because they are, Sitsipas, Zverev and Runa are in the 6th, 7th and 8th spot on the race. So they're the only three places that are kind of still not confirmed. Herkash, Fritz, Rude and Tommy Paul, sort of the the four below that. Um, So let's see how how it pans out. I think once Djokovic is back in the draw, it's, you know, it's hard to to go against him really. But um, What about Bublik? I'm going to say Bublik's going to win it. 
Oh, okay. Well, sometimes the Paris Masters does throw up a bit of a surprise. Um, I mean, who knows? Adrian Manorino might throw up a surprise. Alexander Zverev. I keep telling you. Okay, there are predictions. We'll look back and we'll think we need to say less words. (laughs) (laughs) Well, we'll be back in a week to catch up on this and also the WTA finals. You know, will will the court have lasted? You know, will there be a big big hole in it before the end of the week? That is the big question, listeners. But uh, we're going to end it there for this latest talk catch up. I hope you've enjoyed listening to us at Tennis Weekly HQ. Remember to subscribe to us to stay up to date on all the action still to come from the ATP and WTA tours. We're on Apple Podcasts, Spotify and all major podcasting platforms out there. And if you like what you're hearing, then make sure to leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. You can also follow us on social media or email the show. We're on Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, YouTube, and X. And the handle for all of those is at Tennis Weekly Pod. You can purchase exclusive Tennis Weekly merch at etsy.com slash shop slash Tennis Weekly Podcast. You can email the show tennisweeklypod at gmail.com or check out our website tennisweekly.co.uk. And we will be back next week at Tennis Weekly HQ for our next tour catch up. So I hope you can join us for that. But in the meantime, it's goodbye from Kim. Goodbye. It's goodbye from Chris. Goodbye. And it's goodbye from me. We'll see you again soon. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads.